Continuing breaking news coverage on KTAR News. Uh, thanks so much for being here. If you're just jumping in your car and you've been missing out on the news that you just heard Jeff update this in the news in Nashville this morning, 1013 local time in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, a call went out about an active shooter situation at a Presbyterian church that was also acting as a private school. This is a very small school, preschool through sixth grade students. Uh, a call went out about an active shooter situation. Police got on scene. A five-member team entered the school, and by 1027, they had located and taken out the shooter. But unfortunately, uh, before the police were able to get to the shooter, three students have been killed and three adults. None of them have been identified. The shooter appears to be a teenage girl, um, but that is all that they know. And they didn't even say she definitely was a teenager. They said she appeared to be a teenager. She had two rifles and a handgun with her. They have no idea what the connection was. Mike, I can update uh, that Please situation. Yeah. Nashville police are now saying that the woman was 28 years of age. Oh, okay. So she wasn't a teenager. Yes. Okay. No, they just reported that. And they haven't released any information about her or connection to the school? No. All right. Well, thanks, Jeff. And that's that's why keep it locked to our news team. They're going to have the information before any of us do. Um, I'm going based on what I saw a few minutes ago. Jeff and the rest of our news team is working on the up-to-minute information. So this was a... A 28-year-old woman that was the shooter in this situation. They do not know what her connection to the school, if any, is at this moment. But the shooter uh, killed three children, three adults, before she was killed by police. And the way it was described, I want you to hear a couple of this uh, comments. Don Aaron, who is Nashville PD, a spokesperson, uh, talked about this and how they engaged the shooter. When the officers got to the second level, they saw a shooter, a female, who was firing. The officers engaged her. She was fatally shot. So um, I talked earlier about this, how things have changed over the years for law enforcement, and I've I've learned this from law enforcement. There there was always there is always an officer safety element to what the things that officers do, all of their training, the way they engage, the way they approach a vehicle, um, all of it is something that has to do with officer safety because officers want to go home at the end of their shift. So when an officer approaches your vehicle, if you've been pulled over, sometimes you'll see them touch the tailgate or the trunk of your car to see if it's open. And there's a reason for that. There's a reason for the reason why they approach either sometimes on the side of the car they approach. What Even the, the what seem to be the smallest details have to do with officer safety. When it comes to an active shooter situation, all bets are off. Officer on the scene, you engage and you neutralize the shooter. That has morphed over time into, to the situation. Now, it looks as if Nashville PD is doing what Texas didn't do and what South Florida didn't do. There was a deputy that lost his job, and I may have gotten it back or something, but there was a deputy that was, it was a shameful display of cowardice. And I I know that's easy for someone to say that wasn't faced with that, but there is a reason why we hold law enforcement in such high regard, and that is that they are willing, just like firefighters, public safety in general, they are the people that are running into a dangerous situation when when you and I are running out. Uh, 9-11 with the loss of life. We learn that about the men and women that serve in the fire department, the uh, FDNY and the NYPD, because these were people that were running into those buildings as so many people were trying to escape. That is a common situation. We had a police officer in Phoenix that was shot in the line of duty on Friday. What happened? She was going into a situation because of a call and was ambushed. She, knowing going in that you're going into a situation that may be dangerous. This is happening far too often. 
So here is also, this is again, uh, uh, Don Aaron from Nashville PD talking about the response time. The officers had engaged the shooter by 1027 and she was deceased. Again, I said the first call came in at 1013 this morning. So that is a 14-minute span from the minute that officers got to the call that they were able to get to the scene, organize this five-person team, enter the first level of the school, hear the shooting on the second floor, make their way up to the second floor, and take out the target. Total time was 14 minutes. That is an amazing response time. And so kudos to the Nashville PD. Unfortunately, we know about the loss of life. I'll be anxious, as most of us will be, to find out the identity of this 28-year-old woman who was the shooter, her connection, if any, to the school, any motive we might be able to decipher from this. But in the meantime, my thoughts just go to the families because um, – I can't imagine being one of those parents that get that text or that call that a situation like this has happened at your child's school and then praying that it's not your child. Your child is safe. You're just praying that your child is safe. And then to get to the school and find out yours isn't. I can't even imagine what those moments are like. And that's really all I can think about is, you know, how how do we – how do we get to a level of depravity where this is something that is done? Is this mental illness? Um, you know, and I'm, I'm not trying to mix the two, but in the case of the shooting uh, that happened in Phoenix where this officer was shot, and thankfully she's been released from the hospital, um, the suspect said that he had taken drugs, I think Percocet and some other drugs, and had been drinking and didn't remember if he had shot the officer or not. Now, I don't know anything yet. I'm trying to find out more and more information about this suspect and his criminal record. But the fact of the matter is you don't remember whether or not you shot an officer is a ridiculous defense. He's in the, he's in jail right now on a million dollars bond where he belongs. Um, the idea that a woman, 28-year-old woman, has enough hate in her heart to open fire at a school. Was this – why would you shoot children? What's the, what's the motive? Could there possibly be a motive that explains why? It doesn't ever seem to make sense. Will she have a connection to this school? Is this – and there are people who say, is this an anti-religion attack? What is – who knows? And at this point, I'll be honest, at this point, who cares when you think about the families of these six people, there were three adults that were killed in that school. I don't know if they were teachers or who they were, but there were three adults that were killed in this as well. Those families will be forever altered beginning this morning. And it is a very, very sad state. So I'm going to go over this one more time. I'm sure you're going to get more updates. It was a 28-year-old woman who entered the school and killed three children and three adults. She made her way to the second floor. She had two rifles and at least one handgun that we know of so far. She was then killed by the police on the second floor of the school. So that means seven people have been killed today at this pre- at this Presbyterian church acting as a private school. The school has children from preschool through sixth grade. The other students at the school that were not victims were safely um, pulled out of the school, taken away, uh, be, being reunited with whatever process that is with their families. That's really the information we have on this. Um, it is a horrific thing to report. I, I, I just 
I'm rarely at a loss for words. I, I just can't imagine. I can imagine anger. I don't ever condone it. But you see whether it's road rage or an act of, you know, a crime of passion where in the heat of the moment a fight breaks out and someone gets violently assaulted or or you, a, a gunfire happens because people can't control their tempers. The idea that you would take innocence like this, there is a special kind of. Um, depravity there. There is something there that you want to – are you looking to shock the world? Are you? Uh, how can you be so angry at the world that you take it out on children? It, th- these are the things that make no sense to me. The questions I will have moving forward are about motive. Is Are we going to find out that this was a woman that was disturbed and her people around her knew it and had been warning of danger? That happens very often. I believe it was Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School – that the shooter's nickname was Active Shooter. That when it happened, students said in the aftermath, we knew who it was before it was reported because we knew if it ever happened, it was going to be this kid. Those are the kinds of things that people are learning about these threats so that they somehow can be – there can be intervention with enough information, an intervention before these horrible things happen. James Holmes, who was the shooter in Colorado um, at that movie theater where he just walked in and opened fire at that movie theater, James Holmes was a graduate student, and there was an intervention team that was going to go to him and intervene, but he had dropped out of school, so they didn't believe it was their place anymore. Anymore, which no one's blaming them, but there was all there was information ahead of time about the dangers of some of these people. Jared Loeffner down in Tucson. Are we going to find the same thing out about this woman? Those are the questions that I have. Coming up in a moment, we catch you up on the biggest headlines of the day. It's a segment we call Did You Hear This? We'll get to it momentarily. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Been a very sad and crazy news day. Let's get you caught up. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. The president and CEO of the Arizona Chamber of Commerce, Danny Seiden, joined the show and explained how important our business policies have been in attracting major companies like LG Energy Solution to Arizona. For the last eight years, Arizona has been laser focused on diversifying its economy by creating a policy environment that encourages innovation, lowers regulation, allows these manufacturers to come in and, you know, in a way that's competitive, not just nationally, but globally. Will Governor Hobbs continue these business practices? It's, uh, you know, the indicators from Danny is that so far she has that she will be joining them on some of these trips to other countries when these projects are out there and they're available to kind of sell Arizona. And I think in order to do that, to continue to foster what we've seen, I think the governor needs to go along with, at least in in principle, most of those plans. We will see how she differs from Governor Ducey, but the indicators from Danny so far is that she is going along with this growth mentality and it's good news. Amid President Biden's agreement with Canada on new border crossing measures, Representative Andy Biggs joined Fox News and shared some statistics regarding the northern border. The number of people who've come across the Canadian border, the entire northern border, is less than in five different sectors of the southwest border by a factor of about eight, nine, ten. Is President Biden focused on the wrong border? I don't know that you can be focused on the wrong border. It's a comprehensive issue on both of our borders. We need to be sending a message. I 
I don't know if because he has a better relationship, and I don't know this for sure, but there seems to be more cooperation from this White House with the Canadian authorities than it is from the Mexican president. He seemed to be kind of pushing back a little bit about American involvement after we saw the death of Americans down in Mexico. So um, I don't know that this – it's not a either-or mentality, but uh, uh, Congressman Biggs is absolutely right. The issues at the southern border are much bigger and much more dangerous and deserve much more attention. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at this time to catch you up on the headlines. The House of Representatives passed the Parental Bill of Rights Act that would require public school districts to post a classroom curriculum for students and provide parents with a catalog of the school reading materials. House Speaker McCarthy explains why this is important. Parents should have a right to know where their tax dollars are being spent in the schools, the budgets. But Democrats thought that was too extreme. Do you like this bill? I do. I like anytime there's more information, I like it. Now, again, we have to remember there's cost as an effect. It was what parents were seeing about online learning that caused them to begin asking questions. It was when school districts, not all of them, but some of them pushed back as hard as they did against what the parents were asking, that parents began to speak out even more. The National School Board Association asking the FBI to get involved, the White House to get engaged with the DOJ or the FBI because they called them domestic terrorists. That's what caused a lot of this, and this is the fallout. Parents are making demands because it involves their children. I don't think it's a bad thing. They should know what kids are learning. They should know what kids are required to read or an optional reading in schools. They should have a bigger hand in how their children are educated. This morning, we are seeing another tragedy at a school in Tennessee. A shooter is dead and three children were pronounced dead at a hospital, all from gunshot wounds suffered at the Covenant School, a private Christian school in Nashville. The school's website says it serves students pre-kindergarten through sixth grade. What can lawmakers do to stop this? I don't know that anything can be done to stop it. I think that what, what school districts and what other entities can do is threat assessment. We've seen a, a something that has been a common theme most of the time. Time, and that is warning signs, that there have been warning signs before someone gets to this level that they are dangerous and becoming more dangerous, most of the time due to mental illness. And I think that intervention, someone that's in charge, I've learned this from my friend uh, Steve Hooper, that someone that is in charge of threat assessment and coordinating all these as threats come in, you are, you are logging them so you can see a pattern that maybe intervention can happen before somebody goes over the line. And uh, maybe that, we don't know what happened in this situation, but if it lines up with everything else, we're going to find out that there were indicators. How do we act on the indicators is the question. Yeah, very, very difficult. Great job, Julia, as always. Um, whenever you hear, whenever I hear about children um, victimized like this, it is I go to the level of depravity. I don't know how else to explain it. In my mind, because I can picture a lot of things. I can see getting angry. I can see punching somebody in the face sometimes. I can picture that level of anger. I cannot picture the level of being so devoid of emotion that you could shoot a child. I I just, I can't get there. My mind can't get there. Um, and so that the, for the families, for the families of the three adults and the three children, this is a horrific, horrific occurrence. Um, it happens too often. 
And we're already hearing, uh, unfortunately, from the White House, they came right out of the gates with the gun control advocacy part of this. I just I can't go there yet. I just can't. Uh, it is about loss of life. We can talk about how to prevent and what is the best way to approach diminishing or preventing some of these things from happening. But I'm not. I will always. I should say I. Le- I will always engage at some point in the argument about gun control. Always, but doing it now seems to be so. I don't know. The timing seems to be horrible to me. That this should be a time where we're looking at the loss of life and uh, we lament and we're sad for the families and the devastation that those families are going through right now as they find out that their children are gone or their loved one is gone and then having to make that phone call to other members of the family to tell them. It's just terrible. Um, Coming up in a moment, we shift gears. The city of Phoenix passes a prevailing wage rule. Is this a good idea? I'll give you my opinions next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. Of course, we're going to keep you updated on the shooting in uh, in Nashville, the shooting where three children and three adults will continue on this um, as the day goes on before the show goes off the air. We will update you on what we know. You know, Jeff and the rest of the KTAR News team is working on this. You'll get up-to-the-minute updates. Download the KTAR News app. But there are some local things I want to talk about before we run out of time today. Uh, one of them is this preva- prevailing wage rule that the city of Phoenix passed. Um, I understand why they believe they're doing the right thing. I, I have no animosity toward people, but I, let me explain what it is for those of you that don't understand, and I think most people do, but just in case. A prevailing wage law or rule means when you work on a government project, you are required to pay a higher wage than what is average where you are. It's the prevailing wage based on union scale. So the political answer is, first of all, it is a pro-union point of view, which I, I could care less. My problem with it is this, a couple of things. Number one, it's a nightmare for the contractors that have to do it. Um, so it's, it's, it's a weird thing to bid a job for the cities anyway, for government jobs. You would think in a normal situation, here's how it works in the private sector. I was a subcontractor for a long time. And before I was a subcontractor, I was a project manager for other companies. So I've done this quite a bit. You bid a project. So you go into a general contractor's office and they have a, what's, what used to be anyway, a plan room where they have the jobs that are coming up for bid and a bid list. And you look at the jobs you might like to bid on and they take usually three bids. So you see if there's still room for your trade. In my case, it was an electrician. And you grab a set of plans. You sign out that I'm signing out your plans, which means I'm on your bid list. I'm going to be one of the companies that bids. And as long as you get your bid in by the bid date, they'll let you bid those jobs. Then a general contractor goes through those bids to make sure you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's, and they look at how competitive your number is. Now, at times, if your reputation is a good one and you're very close to the good number, you may get what they call a second look where a contractor will call you and say, hey, listen, you look good on this job, but I want to know, can you do this? Can you work with us here? How is this working with you? And you try to secure the job. It's that simple. 
when you bid jobs for the city of Phoenix, now I don't know how it is now. I can just go back to 10 years or so when I was doing it. They have a different kind of scale. If you're a minority-owned business, if you're owned by a a female-owned business, you get extra points. And so it has nothing to do with who is the best or most qualified to do this job. There's politics involved. Now this prevailing wage rule is going to add huge expense to these jobs because you have so many forms that you have to fill out. You've got to submit and show and prove that I'm paying prevailing wage. It is a logistical and paperwork nightmare. It's an administrative nightmare. In the trades, we call it non-productive labor. That is not an insult. It's just the people, if, as for me, it's not electricians or apprentices working in the field that are producing the revenue we need. It is people that are working in the office that have to do these kind of fulfillment things that are not profit producing, but they are necessary. That's why they call them non-productive labor. Um, It ups the non-productive labor immensely, number one. Number two, it's easy for the government to say, hey, bid this job higher. We know that we could do this, the same building for the same quality at a much lower price, but we want to make sure the wages go up for people on this job, so we're going to tell you this is what you have to pay people, bid this job job based on a higher percentage, higher pay pay scale, meaning we are going to write bigger checks. Easy to do when you're writing somebody else's, writing it from somebody else's checkbook. You and I, the taxpayers, we're paying that. We're paying that excessive wage. The other part of it is, is it draws qualified labor from the private sector. We have projects going on all over the valley. Job pay is really good right now. But the city of Phoenix has the power using your tax dollars to draw qualified labor from private projects because they can arbitrarily now say you have to pay more money. Qualified labor would be dumb not to jump on. I'm doing the same work. I'm going to work for eight hours a day and you are paying me more money on this project. Of course, I'm going to do it. And you're taking good people from the private sector and putting them on public projects. They cost more. They're a nightmare logistically. And they're pulling a workforce away from the private sector. That's why I hate this idea. But the city of Phoenix thinks that this is a good thing. They also are proposing, the city manager is proposing a budget that has $114 million in pay raises for employees. What's funny about that is... You look at the difference between the state legislature, which said, you know what, we have a surplus. We're going to lower taxes, rainy day fund, proposing $10,000 raises for teachers specifically. And here you have the city saying, we're going to just raise people's pay because we're having a hard time holding on to employees. That is a ridiculous notion because – People that work for government jobs have better benefits than almost any other company out there because the private sector can't keep up. The private sector cannot keep up sometimes. I had a very small company. I loved the people that worked for me. I really did. And I did the best I could, but I was just starting out in a business. I did not have the financial means to give a benefit package like other places did and especially cities and towns. 
paid sick days, paid leave time, paid vacations, um, a insurance plan, a pension plan, all of these things. You can be a great employer when A, you're writing checks with somebody else's checkbook, and B, whenever you think you're short on funds, you can just raise taxes on people. It doesn't seem to me like this is uh, very big of anybody at all. Again, if you are a private contractor and you decide, I am going to pay my employees prevailing wage. I'm not a union shop, but I'm going to pay my – you can do that. But I guarantee you in the private sector that when you're bidding jobs to match that pay scale for your employees, you're not going to get a lot of work because general contractors, as much as they might admire your sentiment, are not going to foot that bill so that you stay profitable. Neither are the end users of those projects. I am someone that came from the construction world. I want to see people make as much money as they can. Journeyman electricians right now making about $70,000 a year with benefits working for good companies. And we need over 200,000 tradespeople over the next few years. It is a, it's an exciting time to be in the trades. I get it. But the private sector is going to lose to government every time because they're spending tax dollars. They don't have a bottom line to, to listen to like you and I do. Imagine that at a time when inflation is as high as it is and employers are having a hard time keeping employees and getting material. The cities are saying you can do a job for us, but you're going to bid it even higher because we're going to pay it. And the hoops they have to jump through to prove what they're paying, it's a nightmare. It is a big city nightmare. I don't agree with it. I think it's the wrong thing to do. I think it's going to come back to bite the city in the end. But again, you, if you're a Phoenician like I am, you're paying this. The city council just told everybody, hey, we're going to pay you a lot more money. Don't worry about it. We got it. And the taxpayers are writing the check. They get the credit. You're writing the check. All right. We're going to do the best we can to update you on the latest information of what happened in Nashville this morning. A shooting at a, at a school, a preschool, an elementary school. It was preschool through sixth grade. Three students dead, three adults dead. But the latest information we have on this tragedy. Next. Continuing breaking news coverage on KTAR News. Hey, thanks so much uh, for spending time with the show. Anytime we hear tragic news like this, it is heartbreaking. And a shooting in Nashville, Tennessee at a Christian school. It was a Presbyterian church acting as a, a very small private school uh, with children from pre-K up until uh, sixth grade. Three students dead, three adults dead. And the shooter makes four adults killed. A 28-year-old female shooter, they have not identified who she is, although obviously knowing her age means they know who she is. Uh, she had two rifles and a handgun. Nobody has any idea what the motive is. No one has any clue about a lot of this. It is a lot of – and I'm not going to spe- speculate yet, but I'm anxious to find out um, – how this person got there, does she have an association with the school, and most of all, were there warning signs? I, I, I've talked about this quite a bit about the um, – and I've learned – I ask so many questions of people because – like you, uh, I don't. I'm, and tomorrow I will get into and talk about gun control if people want to. And I just don't think it's appropriate today. I said somebody on Twitter asked me when it's appropriate, and I responded by saying they haven't identified any of the victims, they haven't identified the shooter, they haven't identified a possible motive, they haven't done any of that yet. And people are already shouting the gun control argument because they hate guns, they don't know anything about guns, and they um, are just right away. This is what we have to do to fix this problem. 
And I just don't think it's an appropriate time. This is me. You can do what you want. I'm not criticizing you. Talk about what you want. Um, But you've got families that are being notified. And I think, you know, my brother was an adult when he was killed in the military in war. So it's a different set of circumstances. But you're never prepared for that phone call. You're never prepared for that visit. I still remember like it was yesterday when I was informed that my brother had been killed. It was a shocking phone call to get. My brother was a 34-year-old soldier. We knew the dangerous job he had. So all I can think about are parents going about their day and getting a notification that there has been an incident at their child's school, driving like crazy to that school, praying that their child is safe, and then finding out that they're one of the three parents or three sets of parents that their lives are changed forever. That's all I can focus on. Um, I have no problem having the other conversation. I am confident in what I believe and why I believe it. But uh, we're going to talk tomorrow morning at 835 with my friend Steve Hooper. Um, Steve spent over 30 years with the FBI, a large chunk of it here in Phoenix. Uh, being the head of the JTTF and the ASAC, as they call it, the uh, the assistant special agent in charge. And um, him and his wife have developed a company. She also a very accomplished FBI agent for over 20 years. And what they do is they advise school districts and corporations on with their company on a plan. Um, and we realize that in this day and age, we need a plan. And part of it is assessment, threat assessment, and, and gathering of intelligence. So when somebody makes a threat, when it's a student at a school that makes a threat, that that threat is reported, and then there's somebody that documents that threat. And it may be somebody else that has the same kind of a, 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 a story about that. Like on one time it was on social media, and the other time it was at lunch or on a school bus or in another party somewhere that so-and-so had talked about being violent. This person is starting to concern me. And then the more of those that are written down about the same person, you start to see a pattern where intervention might be necessary. Uh, the Virginia Tech shooter, going all the way back there, the Virginia Tech shooter was asked to leave school until he had some mental health help. Uh, Jared Loeffner in Tucson, same thing, asked to leave college. Don't come back until you've sought counseling. James Holmes in Colorado, the shooter in Colorado in that movie theater, same thing. He was a, a graduate student, and there was an intervention team that was going to visit him, but he had dropped out of school, so they did not intervene. Time after time after time, we find out about people. I believe it was Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in, in South Florida, where students said after his nickname was school shooter that they knew if it ever happened at their school, it was going to be this kid. We have to start looking at, I think, the people and not the mechanism they use. And if they're dangerous, we have to start finding ways, legal ways. The constitutional question about the Second Amendment and the constitutional question about HIPAA laws and what you can do with people in mental health and how much you can intervene and how long you can hold people. I think this is going to be a more valuable conversation toward a resolution. That's the only reason why I'm, I, I stand the ground that I stand is I want this to end as much as everybody else wants it to end. But coming after me and saying that I'm part of the problem because I own an AR-15 rifle, what do you need that for, is doing nothing to solve this problem. 
And that is the issue here is what is the best way to do what we can to prevent as much of this as we possibly can. That's what we all want. And I think we should look at those. So tomorrow morning at 835, Steve Hooper is going to join me. We probably will have more information by then. And we'll talk to someone who has got expertise in this area about what what you're seeing and, and what this involves. And should this have been stopped? And what I mean by stopped is should somebody have intervened? I'm anxious to find out. And it might be an anomaly. It already is with a female shooter. It's normally young males that do this. So we'll get all the update we can. Keep it locked here to KTAR News. Download the KTAR News app for updates. Um, It really is the best way to gather all the news that you need. Just about out of time. We'll be back tomorrow morning starting at just after 8 a.m. Like we always do. I always appreciate you spending part of your day with me. If you can do it again tomorrow, we'd appreciate that as well. So until tomorrow, just after 8, have a great day, everyone. God bless.